Okay, we're almost live. There we go, we are live. So live and direct on a Sunday Sunday morning in the States, Sunday afternoon here. Welcome to Free Association. And I've been live streaming from the Central Station. I've literally just got back and plugged everything in and got everything working. But I think I've found a reasonable place to do live streams from, which is the the eighteen fifty destination eighteen fifty cafe at the railway station. Uh, where the background noise is there, but it's not too bad. As long as I speak up, as long as my voice is carries reasonably well, which it does, if I'm forced to speak louder then I'll speak louder. And then uh, the world can hear me. And it's training me to speak louder as well. So it's probably not a bad thing, all in all. All right, let me get myself organized here. Let me just, uh, I can't put any music on because I don't have the right setup here. Well, so this is Stream of Consciousness uh, hyphen geopolitics. What, what that means is I'm going to play some clips from Odyssey and BitChute. I'll set up on Odyssey first of all. And I'm being forced to use the Edge browser, which I don't really want to use. But I'm trying my best to stay away from Google products at the moment because I'm uh, I'm not happy with the way they're behaving at all. So what I'm going to do is repeat the live stream that I did from the central station, but do it as a Podbean podcast, which means let me find everything I've got stored on Odyssey. Or everything I've reposted on Odyssey. Right, that's not quite what I wanted, but uh, I'll find it. I'll find it. Let me stop that. It is. It was the right, the right channel, but the wrong video. So this is Alex Christofulu. Christos Ofuru, Ofuru, something like that. Don't quite get the name. All right, this is the one that I wanted to play. The video he put up yesterday about a, the hypersonic missile strike. I want to do an update, a really quick update, because we had uh, a lot of stuff go down. Well, one thing in specific that has gone down, and I wanted to get confirmation before I did this video in the afternoon on Saturday. And the event that has taken place is that uh, the Russian military has confirmed that they took out an ammo depot in the west of Ukraine, about 40 kilometers from the border with Romania. 
and they took it out using a Kinzhal hypersonic weapon. And it's the first time we've seen a hypersonic weapon used. And uh, this is big news because, uh, well, it's a hypersonic weapon. It's, you know, the, <laughs> this is a game changer. This is a game changer. Now, they took out this ammo depot. And interestingly enough, as they took out this ammo depot, we have reports that a UK plane had just dropped off a whole bunch of weapons into Poland that very moment. So, you know, a lot of uh, escalation is happening. But I wanted to give you uh, two sides to this story. I want to tell you, I want to relate to you what analysts in the West are saying about this. Not all the analysts, but I would say a majority of the analysts in the collective West, how they see it. And how a lot of the analysts in Russia see this event that has just taken place. And, you know, this follows the uh, the missile strike on that training facility or mercenary facility, however you want to look at it. This follows that strike, but that wasn't hypersonic. This was hypersonic. So let's start with the collective West. The, an the analysis there is saying, for the most part, not all of them, but for the most part, they're saying that this is a sign that Putin is getting desperate he is uh, he's concerned that his military is losing and he's having to resort to showing off his his uh, hypersonic missiles in other words this is an act of desperation from the kremlin and it's a sign that putin is losing the war and that he is now using his hypersonic missiles as kind of um, a saber rattling but also last resort type of action in other words to say you know, I'm going to, uh, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to take every everything down with me. And I'm erratic, and I'm unhinged, and I'm going to start using weapons that, uh, that can do a lot of damage and destruction. So that is what a lot of the analysis in the collective West is uh, saying. From the Russian side of things, they are saying this. They're saying, number one, Russia took out a weapons depot. As they said, they're going to uh, demilitarize. So they took out this depot in the West. Uh, the second point that they make is this shows that Russia is starting to, to focus day by day a little bit more on the West of Ukraine. And they're doing this because they feel confident that uh, certain, I wouldn't even say confident, certain that everything in the East is wrapped up and taken care of. So now they can start to focus the next stage of military operations which is starting to soften up the, the west of Ukraine. If that is the plan, I don't know. This could just be just taking out the, the ammo depot, and that's that. But a lot of the analysts are saying this is a way of saying, we've got the cauldrons in the east. Mariupol is, is, is wrapped up. Mariupol will be taken by the Russians to certainty. And uh, I reported earlier that uh, even the Ministry of Defense in Ukraine has said that the sea of Azov is, is under Russian control. And the Russians are confident that everything is going really well in the East. And now they're going to focus on, uh, on other operations. And those operations may be in the center of Ukraine, i.e. Kiev, maybe. But they may be you know, focusing their attention now to the West. That's just another point of view there. Uh, the third thing that analysts are saying is that this is the way of Russia to say, once again, to NATO, don't you dare pour in weapons and mercenaries and, uh, and 
anti-aircraft missiles and all these things that you're talking about into Ukraine via Poland or Romania or any other country that is bordering Ukraine. Don't you dare because we have these weapons and whatever you, you pour into the, uh, into the west of Ukraine, we're just going to take it out. And not only are we going to take it out, we're going to take it out using hypersonic missiles. Just real quick, real quick and surgical and just evaporate everything. So that's another way that uh, that's another thing that people are saying with regards to this missile strike, this hypersonic uh, missile strike. You know, there's a fourth thing that you can think about with regards to this. This is a way of the Russian military testing out these weapons in, uh, in real combat. That's another thing, you know, they're kind of saying, OK, we've got these hypersonic uh, weapons. You know, what good are they if we don't use them? That's that's, you know, the Greek military, they have this saying a lot of people in the Greek military, they always say, what good is an army? What good are weapons if you don't use those uh, that army or those weapons? So, you know, going along those lines, this could be a way for the Russian military to say, well, it's, uh, we've got these hypersonic missiles. Let's give it a go. And, uh, yeah, why not? I guess. Anyway, I wanted to give everybody these two perspectives as, uh, as far as what happened with this hypersonic missile. This is a big event. It's a very, very big event. And uh, what else? Oh, one more uh, quick story that I want to relate to everybody. It has to do with Syria. Uh, Assad is, uh, has met with uh, the UAE. He was invited to the uh, UAE and he met with, uh, with the officials there. It's a big move because... It shows that Syria is, I believe Syria is on the, on the cusp of being part of the, uh, the Arab League again and being invited back into, into the international order. And uh, they had, this is, this is like the first meeting between uh, Arab leaders in, God, 11 years, I believe, 11 years. And uh, it's a big move. You know, Syria parallels, a lot of what happened in Syria parallels a lot of what's going on in Ukraine. White helmets, the moderate rebels in Syria, in Ukraine, you have the Azov and the NAZIs, you know, the funding that uh, that the U.S. and Obama and Vice President Biden gave to Syria in order for regime change of Assad, you know, Assad must go. And in Ukraine, you have the propping up of puppet Zelensky and the uh, the weapons and the military aid that's being given to these Azov militia guys. In Syria, you had IS. Uh, jihadists, Islamic State jihadists, and Obama branded the moderate rebels. In Ukraine, you have these far, far, far right radical forces that uh, the media is is whitewashing and is now saying these radical forces don't exist. So there are a lot of parallels with regards to Syria and uh, and Ukraine, and even a lot of parallels with regards to how Russia, uh, how the Russian military is uh, is operating. In Ukraine and how they operated in Syria. We talked a lot about the cauldrons and creating these enclaves, you know, the enclave in Idlib where Russia dumped a lot of these these uh, IS jihadists after they created the humanitarian corridors and cleared out civilians from these cities. And you're seeing a lot of that in, uh, in Ukraine as well, these humanitarian corridors and clearing out the cities and trying to denazify as uh, Putin calls it, the denazification operation, demilitarization operation. So there are a lot of parallels, but the main point of uh, of what I'm talking about today is that Assad, uh, he won. He won, and now he's being let back into the international community, and he won against all odds. He took on 
Obama, and he beat Obama, and uh, he beat Nikki Haley and Samantha Power and Cameron and Merkel and Hollande and Macron and all of these people that kept on yelling, Assad must go. Well, Assad didn't go. Those people are not in office anymore, but Assad is still in office. And uh, he underwent false flag, chemical weapons, false flags as well. And what are you hearing in Ukraine? False flags. So a lot of the play, the same playbook in Syria has been carried over into Ukraine. You know, Syria could be could be seen as a, as a dry run for everything that's going on in Ukraine. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Assad. Assad is, uh, is standing he is still standing and standing strong. And uh, the Syrian people fought for their independence and uh, they won it. It was hard. Terrible, a terrible thing that happened in Syria. But it just goes to show that if you play the long game, eventually you uh, you win out. The, the right cause does win in the end. And I think that's that's an interesting development. So I just wanted to kind of get that out there. I think it is big news. And I'll leave the video there, everybody. A quick update, but an important update to the Duran.locals.com. Take care. All right, that was um who was it? Alex Christofuru of the Duran podcast. And that's where I've been getting my information from most recently. They seem to have a good uh, combination of people on there. And they're getting information direct from Ukraine. And the analysis that they, the two guys that are involved in the podcast do is pretty good. It's intelligent. It's not just knee-jerk reactions to things. It's, it's, uh, it's good analysis. So I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to play in one more of his videos from yesterday, I think. Uh, that was part two, and he did another another video about hypersonic missiles, which I'll play as well. This message this morning from Bono, and, and most of us, have, we're always whether we're in Ireland or here or whatever it is, Bono has been a very Irish part of our lives. Oh, Saint Patrick, he drove out the snakes with his prayers, but that's not all. It t that's not all it takes. They struggle for us to be free from the psycho in this human family. Ireland's sorrow and pain is now the Ukraine, and St. Patrick's name is now Zelensky. <laughs> it is 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning in Athens, and I thought I would do a quick video update with what's going on in the news and in Russia and in Ukraine. And uh, you just saw a video of Nancy Pelosi celebrating St. Patrick's Day by reading a poem sent to her by Bono. The uh, lead singer of U2, a band that once would uh, call out 
the establishment and globalism and you know all the all the songs that they would come up with like sunday bloody sunday and uh pride in the name of love and new year's day and all these songs that were fighting against the power and now they are the globalists i mean he's Mano is, is hanging out with uh, Soros and he said in Nancy Pelosi poems where he compares St. Patrick driving out the snakes to Zelensky, the uh, the oligarch, deep state puppet actor. Incredible. And uh, check out this video from uh, Zelensky that he put out uh, just a, a few hours ago, actually. And it's an interesting video because, you know, it's, it's really... Uh, really poorly produced, isn't it? I mean, I'm not I'm not that much of an expert on this stuff. I know a few things from uh, editing videos and stuff like that, but uh, it really looks like a green screen, doesn't it? I mean, if there are some experts in the comments, um, uh, let me know down below, because when I look at this video that uh, Zelensky just dropped, it looks like he's, uh, he's in front of a green screen. Maybe he's not, but that's the way it looks. Anyway, check out the video and I'll be back. Добрий вечір всім. Зазвичай в такі дні ми говорили, прийшла весна. А зараз говоримо, війна прийшла. Але все одно, ми точно всі переможемо. Тому що ми вільні народи, вільні країни. Протягом дня урядовці опрацювали рішення для повного перезавантаження митниці. Вантажі для нашої оборони, для наших людей будуть завозитись в Україну настільки легко, наскільки це дозволяють закони фізики. Перебираємо абсолютно всю бюрократію, всі папірці, а також ПДВ, мито, всі митні платежі. Мета абсолютно зрозуміла, щоб людський фактор не заважав швидкості постачання товарів. Вони дуже необхідні саме зараз. Голова Верховної Ради України Руслан Стефанчук та профільні комітети працюють над тим, щоб новації були підтримані і нашими депутатами. Я наголошую, це рішення, яке необхідне для оборони держави. He's playing a role. He's playing his part. He is an actor, and he's uh, he's reading the scripts, and he's standing in front of what appears to be a green screen. I don't know. You know, the rumors that Zelensky is in Kiev are starting is not in Kiev are really starting to pick up as well. But I, I don't know. I can't confirm any any of that. So, um, <laughs> what else do I want to talk about? Here's some big news. This is some big news. The uh, the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine has admitted this morning. That the Sea of Azov, that's right, the Azov Battalion that we all know about. Well, the Sea of Azov, which is kind of, I'll put a map right now on the screen, is kind of the sea that's inside of the, the Black Sea. And uh, that sea is now uh, in Russian hands. And the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine has now admitted as much that they don't control the coastline of the Sea of Azov. So what does that tell you? That the Sea of Azov has been lost and the Azov Battalion is uh, being cleaned up in Mariupol. Does it sound like things are going poorly for, for the Russian military? I don't know. You guys decide. But uh, there's no doubt that the entire coastline stretching all the way past Odessa is in Russian control. But the fact that it's the Ukraine military, military of, uh, of defense 
that they've come out and admitted this is more proof to the fact that there uh, that there is news coming out, whether it's from uh, Western mainstream media or the Ministry of Defense in Kiev in Ukraine, that is now admitting that the East is is about to, to crumble. The Ukraine army in the East is indeed crumbling. And uh, you know we've talked about this in uh, videos in the past. A couple of videos we made in the past that publications like the Times, uh, what else, the Telegraph. I think even like the Guardian, they're starting to hint at the fact that the, uh, the fighting in the East is not going well, and that there are a bunch of cauldrons, and Mariupol is going to be taken by the Russians. And now you have this admission from the Ukraine Ministry of Defense that uh, that the coast coastline around the Sea of Azov is gone. I mean, when you look at the map, you understand that that pretty much means that whole entire region is. Very windy for one sec. It means that that whole entire region is, is now in Russian control. Oh, it's a windy day. It's going to be a tough one to edit. Uh, well, let me uh, Let's see here if we can find a, an area the where the wind is getting a bit too windy for him. Um, let me see if I can find the, the other video he put out yesterday. The hypersonic missiles. There we go. In Western Ukraine. This is the one I was trying to play. All right, everybody. I want to do an update, a really quick update, because we had uh, a lot of stuff go down. Well, one thing in specific that has gone down, and I wanted to get confirmation before I did this video. The afternoon on a Saturday and the event that has taken place is that uh, the Russian military has confirmed that they took out an ammo depot in the west of Ukraine about 40 kilometers from the border with Romania and they took it out using a Kinzhal hypersonic weapon and it's the first time we've seen a hypersonic weapon used and uh, this is big news because uh, well it's a hypersonic weapon. It's, you know, the, <laughs> this is a game changer. This is a game changer. Now, they took out this ammo depot. And interestingly enough, as they took out this ammo depot, we have reports that a UK plane had just dropped off a whole bunch of weapons into Poland that very moment. So, you know, a lot of uh, escalation is happening. But I wanted to give you uh, two sides to this story. I want to tell you, I want to relate to you what analysts in the West are saying about this. Not all the analysts, but I would say a majority of the analysts in the collective West, how they see it, and how a lot of the analysts in Russia see this event that has just taken place. And, you know, this follows the uh, the missile strike on that training facility or mercenary facility, however you want to look at it. This follows that strike, but that wasn't hypersonic. This was hypersonic. So let's start with the collective West. The, the analysis there is saying, for the most part, not all of them, but for the most part, they're saying that this is a sign that Putin is getting desperate. He is uh, he's concerned that his military is losing, and he's having to resort to showing off his 
his uh, hypersonic missiles. In other words, this is an act of desperation from the Kremlin, and it's a sign that Putin is losing the war and that he is now using his hypersonic missiles as kind of um, a saber-rattling, but also last resort type of action. In other words, to say, you know, I'm going to, uh, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to take every everything down with me, and I'm erratic, and I'm unhinged. All right, so I'm going to switch to um, Alexander Mercurius, who's the other guy who does the Duran podcast. Um, there's a, a video that he put out. Is it yesterday? I think this is yesterday's. Good day. Before I proceed with this video, yeah, just again a reminder. I'll skip the first minute. Back in 2014, but also obviously in connection with the events of the current war. And third, and far from least, we've also had confirmation that the long-standing chair and much-respected chair of the Russian Central Bank, Elvira Nabulina, has been reappointed to her post by Vladimir Putin, and she has given a very interesting um, perspective on the direction she sees the Russian economy taking. But before I go forward to discuss these latest developments, I just wanted to say uh, a little more about what I um, have gleaned about the military situation in Ukraine. Now, I would say that there is an enormous amount of disinformation about this, much of which, by the way, appears to be originating, as far as I can see, from Britain. And if one were to believe all the accounts that one gets from various places, the Russian Offensive stalled largely on the basis that the Russians have not stormed any Ukrainian cities. Well, as I pointed out many times in earlier programs, the focus of the Russian war effort in Ukraine is not the capture of cities, it is the destruction of the Ukrainian army in eastern Ukraine. That has always been the Russian focus. They've even said at the very start of the war that they would not attack civilian infrastructure and they seem to have made a deliberate decision not to try to storm cities with one or two ex important exceptions that I will come to shortly. So I think that this narrative of a stalled offensive is uh, wrong and I don't think it's merely wrong. I think it is actively misleading because, of course, as I've said many times, it detracts from the actual course of events on the ground. Now, what are those events on the ground? Well, what we see is that, as the Russian Defence Ministry apparently has said, the noose, that's its words, the noose is tightening around the Ukrainian forces in the fully encircled important port city of Mariupol on the Sea of Azov. And of course, a large proportion of these forces in Mariupol is made up of um, radical um, uh, members of members of a radical battalion or 
um, military grouping in Ukraine, which, though it's not part of the Ukrainian army, is very much a part of the Ukrainian armed forces. It's part of Ukraine's National Guard, despite its um, ideology being the ideology that was prevalent in Central Europe and in Germany during the 1930s and 1940s, as its members basically make no attempt to conceal. So the fighting in Mariupol is apparently intense. These forces, these Ukrainian forces, have now been pushed to the very center of the city, which the Russians and their militia allies have now reached. There's talk that the Ukrainian um, resistance in Mariupol is um, undergoing extreme stress and that it may shortly be broken down into penny packets. And there's various assessments from various people who know more about war than I do as to um, how long this battle in Mariupol can continue. But everybody seems to accept that it's only a matter of hours or days and before Mariupol is fully cleared. And I should say, if the British Ministry of Defence wants a case of a Ukrainian city falling to the Russians, well, it's likely that Mariupol will be, will be uh, won. And this is an important battle, not just because um, of the fact that it's a city that will have been captured, but more importantly from the Russians, because a significant part of Ukraine's armed forces would have been captured in Mariupol also. And I also gained reports earlier, I've also read reports earlier today, reports which of course, to repeat again, I am in no position to corroborate that an entirely different grouping of the Ukrainian army in the north of Donbass, around the town of Severodonetsk, has also been encircled and that an important town called Rubchnoye has also been captured, this time by the militia of the two republics, uh, of, of the republics of the Donbass, the uh, Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics. Now, I'm going to just, before I proceed further, discuss briefly this report that was floating around yesterday that the United States claims that 7,000 7, uh, Russian soldiers have been killed over the course of this operation and the 25,000 have been wounded. Well, I need to say straight away, I don't know how many Russian soldiers have been killed over this, the course of this operation and how many people, how many have been wounded. But the methodology of this report, which basically seems to be to collate all reports of Russian uh, vehicle losses, um, multiply them by the number of troops that you could put inside one of these vehicles and then arrive at a total figure. Well, to say that that looks crude and more like a back-of-the-envelope calculation, um, well, that would be an understatement. I would also say, and this is where the fighting in Mariupol and around Severodonetsk rather, is important, is that this figure that originates in the United States takes no account, so far as I can see, of the fact that much of the fighting in eastern Ukraine 
is not being carried out by the Russian army, but by the militia of the two Donbass republics. So it seems to me that this figure is inherently unreliable, and I'm going to simply ignore it. That's all I'm going to say about that. Now, military developments are all very good and very interesting, but it's perhaps the political things that I am best in a position to discuss. And firstly, we had a conversation between President Biden of the United States and President Xi Jinping of China. Now, I have to say that up to this point, I've not actually seen the official readout from the Chinese Foreign Ministry. I pay little attention, I have to say, to White House readouts of these conversations, which to my mind are extremely uninformative. It does seem that this conversation went on for some time. It may have lasted an hour and 15 minutes. So it was clearly an intense conversation between the two presidents. But what I would say is that the Chinese have now been providing and providing very rapidly lots of information about the conversation. But perhaps more importantly, they published before the conversation took place a statement or rather a signal about China's stance. And it was given by a very senior Chinese official to Global Times, which as I've discussed many times, is a newspaper owned by the People's Daily, which is the official newspaper of Chinese China's Communist Party, and which must therefore be considered authoritative. And this was a very remarkable step. China doesn't usually send its senior officials out to talk to the Chinese media before conversations. It's not something the Chinese do. The US, of course, does it all the time. But this is a break, a departure from usual Chinese practice. And it was intended as a signal, as a warning to the United States, to the administration, prior to the conversation between Biden and Xi. And I'm going to read some of what the Global Times article says, and it reads as follows. China sends tough signal ahead of Xi-Biden talk to set firm position on bilateral ties, Ukraine issue. And the article goes on to say, just hours before the phone call between Chinese President Xi Jinping and US President Joe Biden on Friday, China, in a rare move, sent tough signals stating that it will never accept US threats and coercion over the Ukraine issue and vowing to make a strong response if the US takes measures harming China's legitimate interests. And then we have details of the words that the official said, and this is from the actual direct interview now. And the interview reads, uh, 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 rather the Global Times account of the interview reads, an anonymous official told the Global Times that at the request of the United States, Chinese President Xi Jinping and US President Joe Biden will hold a phone call to exchange views on China-US relations and the Ukrainian situation. Out of considerations of bilateral relations, promoting peace talks and urging the US to take right stance, China accepted the proposal 
Not surprisingly, before the phone talk, some US officials have intensively made irresponsible remarks and spread disinformation to smear China and pressure it over the Ukraine issue. Such deeds have become common practices of the US before high-level interactions, which are irresponsible and immoral, said the official. China will never accept US threats and coercion, and if the US takes measures to harm China's legitimate interests and the interests of Chinese enterprises and individuals, China will not sit idly by and will make a strong response, the official stressed, noting the US should not have any illusions or miscalculations about this. Since the Ukraine crisis began, given the right and wrongs of the fact, facts, China has made an independent judgment and constructive efforts. China has insisted on independent diplomatic policies, respected the sovereignty and integrity of any country, every country, abided by the United Nations Charter and principles, paid attention to the security concerns of all countries, and supported all efforts to facilitate handling the crisis peacefully, said the official. The international community can fairly judge who is frank and open and who is up to something, who is easing the situation and who is aggravating tension, who is promoting peace talks and who is pouring fuel on the fire and who is maintaining peace and stability and who is provoking confrontations between blocks, the official said. As the initiator and directly concerned party of the Ukraine crisis, the United States should reflect on its own role, earnestly assume its historical responsibility and take concrete actions to resolve the crisis and win the trust of the international community, the official said. Who is on the right side of history and who is on the wrong side of history will be proved by history, not decided by individual countries or individuals. The official said that China will continue to urge the United States to fulfill President Biden's commitment of not seeking a new Cold War, not seeking changes in China's system, not seeking a stronger alliance against China, not supporting Taiwan's secessionism, and not seeking conflict with China. China urges the United States to follow the principles of mutual respect, peaceful coexistence and win-win cooperation. Work with China to implement the consensus reached by the two heads of state and bring bilateral relations back to the right track of sound and stable development at an early date, the official said. That's extremely strong language from the Chinese from the Chinese side that if the United States tries to push China into taking action China doesn't want to take, like China condemning the Russian, um, uh, the Russian um, offensive in Ukraine, or tries to get the Chinese to um, support US sanctions pressure, then China will push back and will push back hard. And if the United States seeks to impose sanctions on China, China will reciprocate in kind. All right, I'm going to leave that one there. That's from a couple of days ago. It's from March 18. But a lot of the analysis obviously still holds because not that much has changed.
the long-term analysis all of all still applies so what am i going to do now i'm going to have a quick look on odyssey to see what else is around that's worth playing and i've been finding movies on odyssey now i've started signing up for the movie channels and uh somebody's just uploaded earthquake which is uh a movie from 1974 with a lot of subplots it's a basically disaster movie very very good though it's a couple of hours long two hours one minute and 57 seconds according to the upload time what else have we got uh, maybe we could see what uh what the twilight zone's about this is the hitchhiker which is episode 16 25 minutes of this so i don't know whether it'll work on the radio or not sometimes these old black and white things do sometimes they don't but i'll let it play and we'll see what happens you can always switch me off if it doesn't work so this is a hitchhiker There is a fifth dimension, beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. side of the angels. By rights, you shouldn't have called for a mechanic. Somebody should have called for a hearse. You just follow me into town, miss. I'll see if I can fix you up with a new tire. Thank you. Minor incident on Highway 11 in Pennsylvania. Perhaps to be filed away under accidents you walk away from. But from this moment on, Nan Adams' companion on a trip to California will be terror. Her route, fear. Her destination, quite unknown. So there was a guy hit on the side of the road down to Drew Hawk. Cheaper than a funeral. 
And that's the same guy in the in the mirror, in the driving mirror. You are, miss. Change from your two twenties. Check the other tires for you. They look okay. Anything wrong? No. Oh. No, nothing's wrong. I was just looking at that uh, the hitchhiker. What hitchhiker? She looks puzzled as she gets back in the car. She's trying to put two and two together. Probably this hitchhiker is going to turn out to be dead, I would imagine. Or maybe not. He just looks straight at the camera there. He just seems to be I saw him again 50 driving. miles further on, and then again on the long straight stretch through Virginia, just standing there, not menacing really, if anything drab, a little mousy, just a shabby, silly-looking scarecrow man. I shouldn't even think about him at all, but it's the coincidence of the thing, the fact that wherever I go, there he is, wherever I stop, I see him. No matter how far I travel or how fast I call him, he's ahead of me. I'm on a turnpike now. I don't know why it is, but I'm frightened. A fear just about as vague as its object. Maybe it isn't really a fear, it's more just a sense of disquiet. A feeling that things are a little wrong. It's vague because that's what that hitchhiker is. He's vague. I wonder why it is he's always there. I wonder why I can't shake him. Get many hitchhikers around here? Hitchhikers? Here? Ooh. Rare, huh? Well, it couldn't be no rarer. Guy'd be a fool hitching a ride on a turnpike. But look at it. Miles and miles of straightaway and practically no speed limit. Now, what car is going to stop and pick up a guy under those conditions? Would you? No, uh, I wouldn't. Well, now, a guy might get a ride before the turnpike starts. You know, maybe by the toll house or something. But even then, it would be a mighty long ride. Most cars wouldn't want to pick up a guy for that long a ride. And then, you know, it's kind of lonely country around here. Flat land, hills, that sort of thing. You didn't see anyone hitching, did you? No, no, I didn't see anyone like that. I was just wondering, that's all. Something wrong, miss? I don't know. I, I was, I was just thinking. I was just thinking how good it's going to be to be able to stop driving. It's getting so that I hate that car. 
Stopped at the railway crossing and the hitchhiker's there again. So she's now trying to get over the railway line before the train arrives and she's stalled on the track. Jump out of the car too. Just more just gonna be better. First call though. And now the hitchhike is gone. Three 
days and three nights now driving. Past Tennessee into Arkansas. Three days and three nights. Stop for food and then drive. Stop for food and then drive. Stop for food. And the routine goes on. Towns go by without names. Landscapes without form. Now it isn't even a trip. It's flight. Route 80 isn't a highway anymore. It's an escape route. So I keep going. Conscious of only one thing. I've got to get where I'm going and I can't let that hitchhiker close in on me. fourth day halfway across New Mexico. I took a side road, hoping to lose the hitchhiker. At 11 o'clock at night, the engine stopped, and I sit there in the front seat, refrigerated by fear, out of gas. so late. You work here? This your place? No. I ran out of gas. I'm just a little bit ways down the road, but this man here won't give me any gas. Well, I saw your car. You know, you left your keys in it. Do you live around here? No, no. I'm on my way back from leave. Where are you headed? Back to my ship. San Diego. That's where she is. That's where I'm heading, San Diego. Do you want a ride? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. I mean it. I'll take you all the way into San Diego. Will you drive with me? Look, lady, you don't have to ask twice. You got yourself a ride, honestly. I don't have any gas, though. Well, fix that up. You try the people here? Well, the man's in bed. Well, let's get him out of bed. Hey, Pop! 
You got some customers out here. If I take off my shoes, my feet feel like two hot bricks. No, go right ahead. Thanks. You know, I, I keep thinking I'll wake up or something. Middle of the night, no cars, no nothing. Who do I meet? Lady looks like a movie star. When I tell the guys on the ship, do you know what the odds are for even one guy believing me? I said, do you know what the odds are for one guy to believe me? I'll write an affidavit. We can get a notary to sign it. <laughs> you hitchhike much? I'm going back and forth on leave mostly. It's, it's kind of tough in this open country. Trucks are all right. They'll pick you up. But you have trouble with cars. You know, most people in cars won't pick up hitchhikers at night. Oh, I suppose not. I bet if you got a good pickup in a fast car, you could go places faster than, than say, another person in another car. I suppose. Take me, for instance. Suppose I'm driving across the country at a nice steady clip of about, oh, 45 miles an hour. Couldn't a fellow like you, standing beside the road waiting for a lift, beat me to town after town, provided he got picked up every time in a car going about 65 to 70 miles an hour? Couldn't he? I suppose. Maybe he couldn't, maybe he couldn't. What difference does it make? Silly kind of idea I had here sitting in the car. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a good way to spend your time, though. <laughs> What's going on? What's the matter? Did you see that man? Oh. Man, you must have seen him. The one standing beside the road. Ah, uh, honey, I didn't see anybody. There was nothing there. What are you trying to do? Run us off the road or something? Thin, kind of gray-looking man. I didn't see anybody. Lady, you must be overtired or something. I didn't see nobody. Nothing. Where are you going? 
No place in particular, just out of sight. I'm going to go any place that puts distance between me and this automobile. Please don't go. I just... I don't know what came over me. I... Don't go. Look, baby, I'd like to get back to my ship in one piece and drive him with you. That is a lousy guarantee I'll ever make it. Please, uh, don't go. I promise I'll drive more carefully now. I promise. I'm sorry, lady. I'm sorry, but you'll have to excuse me. You can't go. You understand? You just can't go. I'll take you all the way into San Diego. I'll drive you right to the docks. I promise. Thanks. But no thanks. Look, I like you. I really like you very much. As a matter of fact, that's why I picked you up, because I liked you. I thought that we could be friends, and I'd kind of like for you to take me out. Really. Please? I'm sorry, ma'am. Oh, please! Please, look, I know you think I'm out of my mind or something, but I've been seeing this man. He's been following me all the way across the country, and if you could only help me and just stay with me till I reach the coast, please don't go. Please? Hey, listen, honey. What you need is a good night's sleep. You don't need a boyfriend. Just a good night's sleep. I'll see you around. No! Don't go! Don't go! Outside of a diner near Tucson. There's a payphone outside, and I'm going to call home. Back to New York. Put in a call to my mother so I can speak to someone familiar. Someone I love. Someone to bring back reality to me. Just a voice. A warm, familiar voice so I won't lose my mind. I'd like to make a call to my home in New York City. My name is Nan Adams. The telephone number is Trafalgar 41098. Hello, Mother. This is Mrs. Adams' residence. Whom do you wish to speak to, please? Who's this? This is Mrs. Whitney. Mrs. Whitney? I don't know any Mrs. Whitney. Is this Trafalgar 41098? Yes, it is. Where's my mother? Where's Mrs. Adams? She's still in the hospital. A nervous breakdown. A nervous breakdown? But there's nothing the matter with my mother. What do you mean a nervous breakdown? Well, it's all taken place since the death of her daughter. The death of her daughter? I... What, do you, what do you mean the death of her daughter? I... Who's this? What number is this? It's all been very sudden. Nan was killed just six days ago in an automobile accident in Pennsylvania. A tire blew out and her car turned over. Very odd. The fear has left me now. I'm numb. I have no feeling. 
It's as if someone had pulled out some kind of a plug in me and everything, emotion, feeling, fear has drained out. And now I'm a cold shell. I'm conscious of things around me now. The vast night of Arizona. The stars that look down from the darkness. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa. Mountains, prairies, desert. Somewhere among them he's waiting for me. Somewhere I'll find out who he is. I'll find out. I'll find out what he wants. So just now, for the first time, looking out at the night, I think I know. I think I know. you're going my way, Nan Adams, age 27. She was driving to California, to Los Angeles. She didn't make it. There was a detour through the twilight zone. There you go, that worked pretty well, I think. Thing with these old, old TV shows is they had to work really hard with the dialogue and the scripting, because they didn't have they didn't have car chases and special effects to work with. So they're much better. They're much much better. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what can you do if it, if I have to choose between the Fast and the Furious and old episodes of the Twilight Zone? I know which one I'm going to pick every single time. Uh, because there's, there's stuff in there that's worth thinking about, as opposed to just mindless car chases. Anyway, well, I've done an hour, so I think I'm probably due for some food at this point, so I'm going to put some sausages in the slow cooker and see what happens there. I've got, I've got sausage and I've got mash, so somewhere between the two of them, I should be able to get a meal out of that, I think. So thanks for coming in, and I'm going to wrap this up. I might I might do another show later on, because I'm in that kind of mood today for some reason. I just I woke up and I wanted to do podcasts and radio shows. I have days like that. If I and I haven't been live on Podbean for a while. All right, I'll see see you next time. Then. It might be later on today. It could be tomorrow. Who knows? Depends what mood I'm in. But uh, I'm having fun with it again. Probably because I've had a break. I'm having fun with it again. Right, so take care and I'll see you again later on.